Good evening. I trust, beloved, that you know it's our duty to be present when the Lord Jesus Christ is present, but for you, beloved, I know you're not thinking about duty. <laughs> I trust you're thinking about the only reason why you're here is by God's undeserved grace to hear the gospel of your salvation once again. I need to hear it, and I trust you do too. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. In our last look at the book of Hebrews, we saw there by God's grace the threefold salvation of God's elect, how that the salvation of God's people is accomplished, anointed, and appointed. And if you were not here the last time we looked at this blessed book, you might ask the question, how can that be? How can it be that a sinner like me be made to know that God has accomplished my salvation? If God be pleased, he will grant you ears to hear in answer to our Savior's blessed prayer for his people. Let them hear. How is it that our Heavenly Father makes us to know that our salvation is accomplished? Paul tells us, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. We saw that the last time we looked at the first chapter here of Hebrews. And you will hear him declare the will of our Heavenly Father concerning those he came to save. For he says, speaking of their recovery from the devil, depravity, and death, this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I shall lose nothing. God's word tells us ever so very, ever so plainly in Hebrews and throughout his blessed book, his only holy book, the Bible, that God has spoken to us by his Son and that he by himself purged all our sins. So certain is the salvation. The apostle tells us again in chapter 9, the very same thing we read in chapter 1, the last time we saw this book, how that our blessed Lord, by the sacrifice of himself, put away our sins once and for all. If you're here tonight and you've never heard what the Son of God has spoken, what an undeserved privilege I have to tell you that God, the one who created you, told us beforehand how he would save his people. God foretells us prophetically in the Old Testament how he would provide himself a lamb, a lamb who would not just symbolize the putting away of the sins of his people, but the lamb of God who has actually and really atoned, that is, make amends to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. Friends, say not thou, I will make reconciliation. Say not thou, I will make amends for the evil I have committed. Rather, wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Wait on the Lord and trust in the reconciliation he has made, the reconciliation which we have through the blood of his Son, 
even the forgiveness of all our sins. In the New Testament, Christ Jesus, the Lord, is declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is, the atonement of Christ is not limited to the Jews. The atonement of Christ is not limited to white people, black people, brown people, or yellow people. But, beloved, the sin-atoning blood of Christ was shed for the sins of all people without distinction. Friend, God has chosen a people from among your kindred, tongue, people, and nation. So you are without excuse if you neglect such a great salvation that we read about in chapter 2. For whatever kindred, tongue, people, or nation you may be from, God has sent his Son into the world to be the Savior of the whole world. That is, Christ is the Savior of all kinds of men without distinction. Rich and poor, educated and not educated, noble and common. God told us through the prophets of the Old Testament what he was going to do beforehand. He promised, Blessed are all they that put their trust in my Son. And beloved, because our God changeth not, his promises change not. God very blessedly tells us that because he does not change, you, beloved of God, are not consumed. Throughout the New Testament, God the Holy Spirit tells us through his servants again and again that Christ has accomplished the salvation of his anointed people, a people he has not appointed to wrath, but rather to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. This evening, if the Lord is pleased, we will once again turn our attention to the book of Hebrews, and we'll begin there in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll read the whole chapter, beginning in verse 1. The apostle writes in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownedest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory, 
to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto thy breth- unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Amen. This evening, you'll find the subject and title of my message in verse 3. Great salvation. Verse 3 declares, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That is, there is no escape for those who neglect this great salvation. And although the apostles' words take the form of a question, they are, in effect, a declaration of the utmost urgency and importance. For the solemn import of the question is this, that those who would neglect this great salvation of God in Christ, there is no escaping the just recompense of God's wrath outside of Christ. Our Lord himself declares, I am the truth, the life, and the way, and no one cometh unto the Father but by me. Notice that the word of God does not say, how shall we escape if we hate so great salvation? Or how shall we escape if we despise so great salvation? Now, why is that? Because, beloved, this epistle is not written to atheists who foolishly raise their fists to the heavens and say, no, God. This epistle is not written to rebels who vainly say, my way is the right way, but whose end is the ways of death. Rather, this epistle is written to those who profess to believe that Christ is the truth and the life and the way. Written to those who may in fact know of Jesus Christ, know of the gospel, and even understand it in the head. But it it slips their attention that though they find themselves among God's people, they have not received a love of the truth themselves. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. there in verse 10. 
God's word declares, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. As the apostle tells us in the first verse of Hebrews chapter 2, in our portion that we've looked at this evening, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. The meaning is this, since God has spoken to us by his Son, and oh how we ought to give heed to the things which we have heard from him, and not let anything that he has said slip our attention. Here the Holy Spirit, through his servant Paul, is stating the very same thing he wrote earlier, that in these last days, anything and everything God has to say to you, he has spoken unto you by his Son. Indeed, the voice from heaven declares, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Don't let anything the Son of God has to say slip by one ear and out the other. Solemnly consider this beloved and reverently fear his holy name. There are some to whom God has sent strong delusion that they should believe a lie. What lie is that? The lie is that delusion which the apostle calls all deceivableness of unrighteousness, which is to say, those who believe they have salvation because of something they do, and not by what Christ has done alone. The religious pretender fancies that he did something to make himself righteous before God, and makes his believing, his prayers, his works, a part of his salvation, all of which are unrighteousness before God. Beloved, take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. For if righteousness come by the law, if righteousness come by anything we do, and not by what Christ has done alone, then Christ is dead in vain." God's Word sets forth in our text this evening the following question. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I'd like to examine this portion of the text, great salvation, under three headings. First, the purpose of this great salvation. Second, the procurement or obtaining of this great salvation. And third, the promise of this great salvation. The Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? The revelation of God in his Son was so complete that the apostles in the books of the New Testament 
do not tell us anything new. They simply confirm and interpret that which Christ declares to us through the Gospels. They set forth that salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, indeed our Lord declares, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And them that heard him declare faithfully the very same gospel, that he that hath the Son hath life. Indeed, throughout the New Testament, the gospel is confirmed unto us by the apostles that heard him themselves. John put it this way, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And John wrote, as do the other apostles, with this desire, that our joy may be full, that we may have comfort at the hearing of the gospel. All right, our first heading shall be the purpose of this great salvation. That is to say, God did not set this great salvation in motion as a plan, as if God wanted to save some people. Rather, this great salvation was set in motion in eternity according to as he purposed, because God willed to save all of his elect people. The great salvation spoken of in our text is the gospel of Christ, which speaks to our great Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, who came into the world to save sinners, and that to the uttermost. Since the fall of man, man is born under the guilt and condemnation of the sin of Adam, and not the condemnation of the sin of Adam alone, but especially under the guilt and condemnation of his own sins. And this great salvation spoken of in our text speaks of the purpose of God the Father, that in eternity our Heavenly Father conceived to save us, and that before the foundation of the world, that in the eternal counsel of God, from before the, the world ever was, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And in the fullness of time, our Heavenly Father, according to his purpose and grace in Christ, sent our Lord into the world to complete our salvation. That by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, through his blood and his righteousness, he has, by the sacrifice of himself, abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Second Timothy chapter one verse nine. God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death 
and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So what does God's word mean by the expression, the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ? It simply means this, that for Christ to be our Redeemer, for the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Redeemer, it required that he take upon himself not the nature of angels, as we read in our portion, but to take upon himself the seed of Abraham. And in doing this, he established a perfect obedience unto death, giving his life a ransom, being raised in his resurrection, and having entered into heaven as our anchor. He ever maketh intercession for us, that from his heavenly throne he now sends the spirit of truth that effectually calls, proceeding according to his own will from the Father of heaven to the elect sinner of God, applying to our hearts by the Spirit's testimony, a testimony of him, so that the great salvation of our Lord's blessed person, so that the great salvation of his finished saving work is believed, indeed received, and not neglected. Now concerning this great salvation, the apostle asks, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Friend, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Indeed, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great Savior that is so exceedingly great, he is so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they? Friend, we are talking about much more than a prophet, much more than a priest, much more than a king. And, and though Christ be all of these three, friend, we are talking about God's only begotten Son. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. If you are to feel the weight of that statement, perhaps it can excite your flesh. But to believe that, and to love that, the Son must send you His Spirit. Even now, O Lord, how I pray, if it pleases you, bring a sinner here this evening to kiss the feet of your darling Son, our prophet, our priest, our King, Indeed, your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we proceed to our second heading. How this great salvation was not only purposed by God, but indeed was procured by God. How that our Heavenly Father has obtained this great salvation by and through His Son. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The procuring of our great salvation, this obtaining of it, which the apostle declares is not by works which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Now before this great salvation and the work of it being finished, the very first work of God was creation. It is recorded for us in the book of of beginnings, in the beginning God. And make no mistake about it, creation was a great work. For our great God, out of nothing, framed the worlds, 
both visible and invisible. Indeed, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things in the heavens above and all things in the earth below were done as he commanded, and it stood fast. As the psalmist puts it ever so blessedly, he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Indeed, God said, let there be, and by his almighty will, every realm of creation was made. The heavens, the earth, the depths, the two lights in the, in the firmament, and the stars. Indeed, every realm of existence arose at his command. But do, how does our Heavenly Father compare the great work of creation with the great work of the salvation of his people? How is that compared? Turn with me to Psalm 8 and look there in verse 3. We read in God's only holy book, Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. The psalmist declares, speaking of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father has said regarding His Son that He has made Him to have dominion over all. Indeed, all things shall be put under His feet. But I want you to notice how creation is referred to as the works of His hands and earlier the works of His fingers. This is how our Heavenly Father illustrates the work of creation. Just like that. <laughs> it's nothing. He makes the world... It makes the stars, the sun, the moon, and it's just this. <laughs> but now look there in Isaiah chapter 53. And see how our Heavenly Father compares the work of redeeming His creation. Isaiah chapter 53, in verse 1, the word of God declares, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Beloved, the work of this great salvation cost far more than the work of creation. The work of this great salvation cost far more than the work of creation. Though, as we have seen and do see, that creation is a great work, our salvation, our redemption, was a far greater work in that it cost far more to redeem creation than it did to create it. The prophet declares, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Even this illustration won't be missed by anybody. <laughs> Rolling up a sleeve It's going to convey much more than just work for the prophet says 
and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord was revealed. The word was made flesh. The one who was one with the Father, co-eternal, co-equal with God, and possessor of all the attributes of the Godhead, entitled to all the honors which belong to God alone, the eternal Son of God, made himself of no reputation and stooped down to take into oneness with his own divine nature, our creature nature, so that in the person of Emmanuel, God with us, he was entirely God and entirely man. Indeed, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. To consider that even as he lay in the manger, when he ever what he ever had been, he remained in the flesh, God over all and blessed forever. And at the same time, he became bone of our very bone and flesh of our very flesh, a real man in every respect, just as we are, except without sin. Without this fulfillment of God's own promise, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name God with us, the angel of the Lord could never have declared of the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall save his people from their sins. How does our Lord procure, how does our Lord obtain this great salvation for his people? Through the union of his human nature and his divine nature in the one person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God-man, our Redeemer, indeed our substitute, established on the earth a sinless obedience to the divine law of God and showed forth the perfect pattern of the only man to ever please our Heavenly Father. One so pleasing to our Heavenly Father, and I trust you've not missed this detail, beloved, that he declares not only that he is pleased with him, but in whom he is well pleased, free from all sin, within and without, a man entirely holy, harmless, undefiled, and blameless, that God's begotten Son should ascend the altar of the cross and pour out his soul unto death as an offering for sin, well-pleasing to our Heavenly Father. This atoning for sins, this accomplishing the salvation of his people, so pleased the Father that the prophet records, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. If God will enable us, we shall behold him there again with the eyes of faith, beholding his broken body, beholding the travail of his soul, beholding the shedding of his precious blood, hanging, suffering, an agony unknown to mere mortals, so great the anguish of his soul that even creation itself showed its recognition of it. For upon the death of God's only begotten Son, the sun did not shine. Indeed, there was darkness over all the earth. Even the earth itself did shake. When he who came down from heaven, which is in heaven, the Son of God and the Son of Man, to give his life a ransom. In such agony and in such anguish of the soul, and such that shall never be experienced again. See him there now, beloved, 
with the eyes of faith, giving his life in the place of yours. Even the tormenting depths of hell itself are not to be compared with the pain and anguish of soul that our Lord suffered in our place on the cross. Consider, beloved, that this procuring, this obtaining of our salvation, this atonement of sin, our sins, was the only way that a fallen sinner like you and a fallen sinner like me could be reconciled to the high and holy God. Is this not great salvation? How shall we escape the judgment of God's just recompense for sin, seeing how he dealt with it in his only begotten Son? If we should neglect so great salvation... Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Christ gave his life a ransom not only for the Jew, not only for the Gentile, but for all men without distinction. As I have already intimated, the door of salvation is open to all men without distinction. For salvation is by the free grace of God in Christ. Do you speak English? Do you speak Chinese? Do you speak Spanish? Whatever tongue you speak on this earth, you may approach our King. You may approach our King Jesus and confess, Lord, if you are willing, by the authority of your being God, by the sacrifice of of yourself as a man. If you are willing, you can save me from my sins. Oh, how I pray that you are made to hear him say to you by his spirit tonight, I am willing, be thou saved. Beloved, consider the greatness of the salvation of his people. That Christ Jesus, our Lord, is the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. It is through his blood that we are cleansed from all our sins. And don't minimize them. Rather, consider the enormity of your offenses. Count them if you can. But I trust you will find the task impossible. For your sins are as innumerable as the stars. Indeed, both the offenses of your sins and iniquities are as innumerable as the grains of sand upon the shore. Go ahead and bring to mind that great offensive heap and be thankful that now by God's undeserved grace in Christ, that mountain has been cast into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. And why is that? (laughs) For Christ has put them away by the sacrifice of himself. Beloved, we have it by the word of his power. Rather, we have it by the word of his power. We have it by the word of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray the Lord will bless the reading of his word and comfort 
convict, and indeed save this evening. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. What is this blessedness that the psalmist declares? Beloved, God tells us in this blessed book, not once, but twice in the book of Hebrews, that he will be merciful to our unrighteousness and our sins and our iniquities he will remember no more. Friend, as you have been listening, you may think to yourself, truly, this is a great salvation. That Christ, God's only begotten Son, has made an atonement for sin by the sacrifice of himself. For all who believeth, for all who believe, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. My friend, I have only told you the half of it. (laughs) Not only has the Lord Jesus Christ made a full atonement for the sins of his people, he has done much more. He has procured, that is, he has obtained a perfect righteousness so that we may go to God not merely as a forgiven criminal, still lying in the ruin, misery, and filth of our ruined righteousnesses and still yet to be condemned for for our iniquity. No, surely God has taught you, beloved, you cannot go to him as merely forgiven, You must go to him as one that is faithful. (laughs) And that by the faith of Christ. For we shall be justified, indeed declared not guilty in his sight by the doing of the Lord Jesus Christ. What great salvation. Truly we have received double from the Lord's hand. By his sin atoning blood, the blood of Jesus Christ our Savior, we have received the forgiveness of all our sins. For his blood cleanseth us from all sin. And by the righteousness of his faithful life as a man, we are made holy. No longer are we found in the filthy, ruined rag of our life. Beloved, we are found to be made the perfect righteousness of God through our life being united to his. The Apostle declares in our portion this evening the first part of it, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And now after having looked upon the purpose of this great salvation and the procurement, indeed the obtaining of this great salvation by Christ alone, Let us consider the promise of this great salvation in conclusion. Our text delivers a faithful warning to those who neglect this great salvation, but it also affords comfort to those who are not neglecting this great salvation. Indeed, to those who are not neglecting this great Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord, let us put it in another way. Shall we perish if we are not neglecting this great salvation? Impossible. For if the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, if the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, if the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us in salvation, remember that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. 
For anchored in Christ, nothing can harm us. As Paul puts it ever so blessedly in the book of Romans, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, believing sinner, without a doubt, you are safe in Christ. For all the attributes of God are engaged for your salvation. For he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Indeed, you who believe on Christ are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Indeed, through the faithfulness and the uprightness of God's only begotten Son. Beloved, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Our Lord declares, and you who have the ears of faith shall not let his words to slip, but rather very blessedly you shall keep them. He declares, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So certain is the salvation of his people that he says of his beloved people, though some of you shall they cause to be put to death, he concludes, and oh, the astonishing wonder of his preserving power, after just saying, some of you shall they cause to be put to death, (laughs) he then concludes, our Lord Jesus Christ concludes, of his preserving power, he says, but there shall not an hair of your head perish. (laughs) I can't explain that, (laughs) but it's so. And Lord, I believe it. Help my unbelief. Beloved, may this comfort be yours. May this blessedness be yours in all its fullness that he be pleased to make you to know that he is faithful. To that appointed time when life in Christ is translated from this fallen world to the world of his kingdom. Beloved, God has spoken to us by his Son. And he declares to us tonight once again, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Amen.